What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, we have a lot to talk about the, today. The Cats are one in one on this early season after falling to number two UCLA, 86 to 77 on the Friday night matchup for the ages. I made my way, th- I made my way all the way through it about 2 a.m. Yep. I'm sure you can say the same. I know you can say the same, <laughs> but it was a tough one. Tough loss. We'll get into all of it, but how's it going? How are you feeling? Especially with the AP poll dropping today, the first one of the college basketball season. I know. Well, I'm still not sure if my sleep schedule is recovered um, yep. from, uh, from staying up till two watching that game, especially how amped I was <laughs> going yeah, into And it. the OT, like there were just so many factors with that. Man. No, it was not easy to go to bed after that game. That's for sure. Um, but now, you know, excited. We're, we're going to get to talk about plenty from that game. Still a marquee matchup, which is really, real exciting during the first week of the season to play that big of a game on the road. Nationally ranked opponent, number two team. You can go through all of it. Uh, that's great. And then, of course, Villanova returns to the pavilion this week before uh, playing some big games out at Mohegan on the weekend. Yeah, super fun stretch that we're getting to. You're going to the game against Howard. I'm going to the game against Tennessee. We've got our we've got our hands in a few different things now. This is getting really fun. All right. So so the AP poll dropped on Monday. The couch just moved to number five. They started the season number four. I predicted not very much of a move. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how you felt, but this was this UCLA team is too good. And this game happened too early for there to be any panic buttons or stress coming out of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I thought they were going to go down a little further than just one spot to five, just like a a six or seven spot, but five seems perfect. I mean, it just, it would feel really cool to punish a team going out there to the West coast to play the number two team in the country that goes to overtime for it. Yeah. (laughs) It wouldn't make a lot of sense. Um, So especially with Texas losing as well. um, I'm, I think five totally works. I actually think Texas was an uglier loss too. I think Villanova way uglier. Yeah, and they only fell to eight, and I believe they were five, correct? They, so yes. they moved from five to eight. Villanova moved from four to five, and I thought Texas came out of that game much worse off than Villanova did. Yeah, Both Texas being losses. Texas got blown off the court. Most of it, yeah. yes, they did make it a lot closer towards the end. Still wasn't the worst loss by Texas uh, <laughs> Texas this week. <laughs> Don't do it like that, Pat. I had to. It was Don't way too like easy. That. that was a layup. <laughs> All right, let's get into the game. So 86-77 score final in OT. I'll just go through some quick box scores and then Pat, mm-hmm. you can tell us where we're going to start all these guys. I mean, the Villanova starters, this is what we'll spend the majority of the time talking about. I assume is just the minutes played Colin Gillespie, 42 Samuels and Slater had 41 Dixon had 39. Justin Moore had 32. And that was with foul trouble. Samuels was the leading scorer with 20 and five. Colin had 18, three assists, Eric Dixon, First game in double digits this season, 11 points. And then on the other side, Johnny Juzang, Jaime Jaquez, Jules Bernard, 25, 21, 16 points. UCLA was just running like a well-oiled machine in the yes. second half. But tell, tell tell me where you want to start because I am good going literally anywhere at the beginning here. I'm sure we'll move through everything at some point. Let's start with the bright spots and then we can move down to uh, many of the things that are up for discussion that I'm sure we can talk about. So if we're starting with bright spots, you know, I really was impressed by Eric Dixon um, and very happy for him to to see him kind of make a little bit of a stamp. We talked about it in the opening game where he was out there, but I, I don't think he did too much to catch your eye. 
going up against a really, really tough team on the road. UCLA is massive and have a, a bunch of good big men. Cody Riley didn't even play. Miles Johnson is very, very good, you know, on, on top of what their wings can do, which we'll discuss. But 11 points, nine boards, you know, had the, the big end one, you know, down the stretch there in the second half. I thought he held his own for most of the game. Two steals to pitch in as well, only one turnover. I was really impressed with Eric Dixon, and it, it made me very glad to see him make an impact against a really difficult team. My biggest takeaway was that he passed the first test. Yeah. How, how much time did we spend talking about, of course, not coming against Cody Riley, who had the MCL injury, and that would mm-hmm. have been the real big man, but Rutgers transfer Miles Johnson, 6 8 or 6'10", I'm sorry. 6'10", I want to say? Yeah, I want to say 6'10", too. He's a stud a really big guy. And I really do believe that Eric Dixon held his own. It's not like UCLA was just dominating the paint on offense. Of course, they've got the guard play where they don't have to do that. But I, like you, was glad that he had that offensive presence. I think it's really nice to see that. He almost had a double-double in his second game this season, his second career start. Everything came together. I think this is the Dixon we can expect. Four for 11. It's not like he's automatic like JRE was. Of course not. We, We mentioned last episode, there should not be apples to apples comparisons between Dixon and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. They're just not the same player and you can't expect the same type of production, but for Eric Dixon to be relied on to play 39 minutes to put up double digits and to play really strong defense against a really good UCLA offense. I think this was far and away the most positive thing to come out of this game. I do too. And I know there will be people that'll focus on a little bit of the defense when he got switched on to a Juzang or a Hakez. I don't think that's Dixon's fault because it's not the matchup for him. I, I think that can go more into the defensive philosophy of not helping out and forcing them into these switches and not changing things up, which I certainly think could be debated for if it was the right move because UCLA certainly went to that and went to that a ton on Friday night. Uh, but uh, otherwise, I really think Dixon was was great. And, and you know, you bring up Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, and it's something I was going to get to a, a little bit later. This was the game where you really felt the loss of, of JRE, especially on the glass. You know, I, UCLA out rebounded Villanova 46 to 32. That there really wasn't a, a dominant presence inside. As we said, I think Dixon was good uh, on the boards. But when you're going up against a team like UCLA that has the ability to really, you know, imprint themselves on a game from the inside, this was where the loss of Jeremiah Robinson really played into things for Nova. Yeah, I totally agree. And I actually think Dixon looked really athletic too. And those steals that you mentioned, and that was a part of Jerry's game that I thought we would sorely, sorely miss. But yeah, the, the switching, that was definitely one of Villanova's weaknesses. I couldn't believe that Cronin and UCLA weren't pounding that earlier and more frequently. They got smoked on the switches. Right. Hawkes against Dixon is just not even fair, really. And, And that's what they exploited down the stretch. But the defense is going to come along. He he mentioned actually in a press conference on Monday that I thought was really interesting. He, he was asked what it was like to be the hunted. That was the word. I put that in quotes. Mm-hmm. And he says he has to practice against some of the best guards in the country. And that really struck me because it's true. He practices against Colin Gillespie yeah. and Justin Moore, who you think is going to be a all the first team selection. He has to practice against Jermaine Samuels and Brandon Slater, really physical guards and forwards that's a big deal so when you think about it in that way Dixon might be more tested when than than we thought going Mm -hmm. into this season and now he's starting to get those big matchups under his belt and he can just continue to grow because again and we're going to say this a lot of times in this episode it was a really horrible loss really disappointing loss in that it was gutting and it was OT and they had it 
but this was the second game of the season. And this was a game that Villanova was in for the full 40 minutes of regular. And then they just lost it at the last five minutes of OT. Yeah, I think that's fair. And how I, if we're looking to classify the loss, I classify it as disappointing, but it didn't make me angry in, in any way. Yeah. Just understand. I meant horrible as just like gutting and tough to sit through. No, just no, no. I, I, I totally yeah. get it. So just looking at UCLA, like UCLA is a team that I think at this very moment is better than Villanova. And that's okay because they brought back literally everyone from a team that went to the Final Four and brought in Miles Johnson. Like, so you have to think with the loss of Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Villanova is still adjusting to that. And, and it's going to take a little bit of time for that. UCLA has the star power in Hakez and Juzang, which we saw, and I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, plenty on how good they were. Um, it, it's so, yes, I understand, especially the fact that there was a 10 point lead in the second half that hurts, but just, I, I want everyone to understand how good UCLA is. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And and going off of, I mean, you mentioned Juzang and Hawkes. Those are all obviously the offensive catalysts for UCLA. I thought one of Villanova's biggest strengths in the first half was how they were able to shut down Johnny Juzang. Mm-hmm. His stat lines on the night, he shot nine for 24. He was one of eight from three. And this was the all-heralded AP All-American matchup between Gillespie and Juzang. Juzang was not good in that first half, and he showed just how good he can be in that second half, which is obviously how UCLA got all of its momentum back. But Brandon Slater did an exceptional Uh, job eliminating Juzang in the first half and Tiger Campbell for that man, Mm -hmm. for that uh, sake. Yeah. Campbell, again, another guy that really exploded in the second half, but you went exactly where I wanted to go next. If we're going with the positives and it was keys that we talked about to this game was that Brandon Slater and Jermaine Samuels had to have big games and they both did it. And it still didn't fall, you know, Villanova's way. I thought Slater was, excellent on defense really really good was very strong on the boards three steals is you know is very impressive how he's able to to get his hands in there and force those turnovers and Jermaine Samuels I mean Dana O'Neill wrote a fantastic article Mm. on the athletic about how he just he sits back and he does his thing and he lets other people have the you know the spotlight Samuels was again really good another big game another big performance from led the team in scoring with 20 points I thought was again a very strong defender showed off the three-point stroke a little bit too with five made threes from Jermaine Uh, if I want to go on positive routes I would say honestly the whole front court even though they got you know so crushingly out rebounded uh, it's not their fault that's just you know the UCLA using their size advantage there I think all three of the starting forwards played very well the opposing team might have the size advantage, but almost always I think Villanova will have the scoring advantage in its front court mm-hmm. because Jermaine Samuels can be a really good scorer when he needs to be. And I read that Dana O'Neill article and I thought it was so funny. It was really good. We've, we've heard Jay Wright talk about it before, how he wants his kids to date Jermaine Samuels because he's just that nice, which I just <laughs> think is hysterical. I was really strong in our last episode about how I do not want Jermaine Samuels to be the leading scorer or the leading shot taker. And he was both in this game. But the reason I'm okay with that is because UCLA's game plan was to eliminate Gillespie and to eliminate more mm-hmm. and Villanova needed a tertiary score. And I know that's something we'll talk about more in a little bit, but Samuels was able to step into that role. And when opposing teams try to eliminate those two guards, that's when it's Samuels' time to shine. And I think he did that. And those five threes were huge. He had a lot of really good drives to the basket too. He's developing his game to the point where he's just, he's so versatile and he can do so much on the court. And I agree with you. 
he his his role as a front court player is becoming really really advantageous. Yeah, I was really impressed with what I saw from both of them. Slater more on the defensive side, though he still pitched in 10 points, which again, I, I don't think we can overstate on the fact he averaged four a game you know, from a season ago, and Samuels was just so, so good. Um, so I, as we, you are kind of seeing the theme as we go through this, I know they lost. I get it. But there are some there are some positives and some good themes to take from this game that I think Villanova can, t- can continue Excuse me, to, uh, to grow upon. Yeah, and I'll I'll finish with one more thing that I definitely think they continue con- can continue to grow. We're on. both struggling <laughs> with that word right now. <laughs> can continue. Saw some flashes of Jalen Brunson and Justin Moore on Friday night. Ooh. He was absolutely electric at backing down in the post. And that was Brunson's signature move, right? He was so mm-hmm. good. I think you're seeing him adopt that killer mentality. He looks so much more physical and confident with the ball now. And he can post up against a Tiger Campbell. I think Moore has the advantage 10 times out of 10 against Tiger Campbell when he's on offense. And I think he was able to exploit that. He ran into foul trouble early, so we didn't get to see as much as him as we would have liked. And I think they, again, like we mentioned, Colin Gillespie was really, really good in the first half. They completely eliminated him in the second half. That was not Gillespie. That was Mick Cronin making the coaching adjustment. That was what was needed to help UCLA win this game. Yeah, if Justin Moore doesn't get in the foul trouble that he did get in, I think we might be having a different discussion about how this game turns out just because Moore was never able to get into that full rhythm because it was so stop-start with him with fouls. And yeah, I I think you saw how key he is and that, listen, Villanova's got talent to be able to overcome it as we just talked about how good Dixon was, how good Samuels was, you know, but Justin Moore is just, he's the guy that they can go to to really look as another scoring option. And it was never fully i i'll use the word again but in rhythm from him because things were broken up and even with that i've still watched that replay of that final shot about 100 times and every time he makes that drive i think it's going in because it's justin moore and it's what he does around the basket finish through contact and he just he left it a little short it's the same type of play that we saw sadiq make it sadiq bay making two years Mm -hmm. ago right uh i agree with you and i think to stamp how much he means to this team and how much the team needs him with two fouls, he came back in at the 10 minute mark. I literally said out loud, he might not come back in until the five, six minute mark. And he came back at the 10 minute mark because this offense just can't run without him. That's how important he is. Yeah. No, he, he's so key to, to everything that they do, especially this year. So I, I think you're only going to see his role continue to grow. And that was a huge reason for why Villanova wasn't able to get this done was because they could not have him out there for really extended minutes like they would have wanted to. Yep. And the trust aspect too. Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Sure. All right. So let's shift to some of the weaknesses because they obviously did come away with the loss. Where do you want to start with these? I mean, I already brought up the rebounding. So I, I, I think that's fair. Cause that's exactly where I would go to. If we can kind of tie this in a little bit, this was a good nugget from ESPN. UCLA had 1.18 points per possession. That would have been the second worst defensive performance from Villanova from a year ago. If you, you know, you want to put that into the sample size. So But the thing is, the funny thing, as I say that, I really don't think the defense was terrible from Villanova. I think they broke down in overtime because they were exhausted. And we'll talk about the rotation, I'm sure, right up next, because that's certainly a a huge talking point for it. But what I think that defense goes to is that a Johnny Juzang, who I think we all saw, you know, put up 25 points. He's a stud. He's probably the best scorer 
pure scorer in the country. Drew Timmy's the best player. In the I country. was just going to yes. say Drew Timmy might have something to I say. About say I, I think Timmy's the best player in the country, but if I need a score, I'm going to Juzang. And yeah, you saw it. Point. I mean, the pull-up game was phenomenal from mm-hmm. him. He, he was able to get in the lane and cause those made all his free throws as well. And Hakez is, <laughs> if we're going to talk about Juzang as the best player in the country, Hakez might be the most underrated player mm. in the country because he's a true star and just, he does everything well at a double, double with 13 boards. So I don't want to kill Villanova's defense on this, even though defensively the numbers do not look good. I think it was more to just playing to UCLA is that good on offense. Yeah, I feel the same way. The rebounding disadvantage was key, and I think that's one of the reasons why they lost. And you you tweeted that after the game, Mm -hmm. especially the offensive rebound, especially down the stretch, was just just frustrating to watch. Again, Hawkins was 7 for 14 from the floor. Juzang was nine for 24. Tiger Campbell didn't start going until the second half. Jules Bernard was five for 11 from the floor. I have the John Palme left us such a good question at the end. I almost wish we could get into it now because I was going to say this reminded me of the Baylor game when Villanova was just so in it in the first half and making all these Baylor players miss the Teagues and the Butlers and the Mitchells. And then Mick Cronin made the offensive adjustment. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Slater wasn't able to handle Johnny Juzang anymore. And they were able to exploit Eric Dixon on defense more. And Juzang was able to drive to the basket and make these absolutely ridiculous one foot jumpers. And they also raised the tempo in the second half. And that made Villanova really unsettled because transi- transition defense is definitely not their strength right no, now. That's Thank you for saying that because that's something I had written down. Definitely not their strength. If an if an opposing team can make their defense really scattered, and if they can, especially if they can force a turnover and then just get Villanova on transition D, not let their defense get set, that's where Villanova gets burned. And it just seemed like it would, that was on a repeat loop for the entirety of the second half. Yeah, and that's a great point. I'm glad you said that because I really did want to hit that first on on Juzang. Last three games against AP top five teams, he has had at least 25 points just to show the type of big game player he is. He's literally the second best player on the country right now. He's 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 incredible. Uh, But on your point on transition defense, exactly where I wanted to go with it as well. If you'll notice, Villanova brought out that press a little bit at the start of the game. They got out of it real quick, and that's because UCLA was torching them whenever they had their uh, the defenders had to get back to their assignments. They just weren't able to do it quick enough. UCLA was able to burn them for some threes, get some easy buckets. So Villanova kind of went with that just straight man-to-man, get back on defense, took a little bit of the pressure off. Yes, they sent Gillespie in to do the full-court press a little bit, but you know it's not the same as kind of that <laughs> the, the bridges zone we'll call it the yeah. bridges press um, that, that we saw in that first game of the season against the mountain. Then of course they tried it again, a little bit here against UCLA. It just against the team, this talented. And even with that said, by the way, Villanova forced 14 turnovers and had nine mm-hmm. steals. So I, I don't think it's a mess uh, as you may look at, if you just look at the box score, but it, it was, you know, it, it, listen, it's UCLA. They scored 86 points. <laughs> what can you say? No, that's a good point about the turnovers. The bottom line for me is just when it's Johnny Juzang against Colin Gillespie on defense, Juzang is going to win every single time. Mm-hmm. When it's Hawkes against Moore, Hawkes is going to win every single time. The Villanova's defenders just aren't there yet. It's the second game of the season. I love that they have Mount at the beginning of the year, Howard coming up. They can continue to ease that press in because I think that can be really key for them. But UCLA is just too quick. Their shooters are too good. They have too many options. If uh, Juzang and Campbell are off, you get 
Bernard and man, Singleton had some crazy shots too. It's yeah, just some big threes. Too many, too many options off the bench. Too many guys that can just shoot the lights out. They were just the better team. That's they were it. no, they, they were the better team that night, and that's okay because, as you said, it's still so early and all the things that went into it. All right, you finally want to get to the elephant about the rotation. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I feel like we've uh, we've been very, very graceful about saying that they were just the better team, but Villanova also lost itself this game halfway mm-hmm. through the second half. Yes, they did, and they lost it in overtime, and it was because they were just absolutely gassed, and that is because bench players played a combined 30 minutes and that was six for Chris Archidiacono and 24 for Caleb Daniels. That's it. It's a short bench list, seven deep. And UCLA wasn't the deepest team either too. They had Nuba Watson, Clark and Singleton. They had less than 40 minutes off the bench too. So a combined 40 minutes. It was an interesting game. It was a heavy reliance on five starters for both teams but when it's this much of a reliance on the starters for Villanova, you can't expect to win overtime games. There's just too much fatigue that comes into it. So did you agree with the decision to not play any of the freshmen? I know Trey got in in the, the last minute of overtime. That's a good question. I wasn't expecting you to ask <laughs> not go up straight like. up for it. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll tell you what I, I'll tell everyone what I told you right before we started. Mm-hmm. I was on Jay Wright's press conference on Monday and Obviously, one of the the buzz questions was about the rotation. And I was really curious to hear if this game hadn't been the second game of the season, would we have seen more of the freshmen? Meaning, was it just because they weren't acclimated yet? And Jay was very honest. And he said, this they didn't play because they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wasn't expecting him to say that. I knew he wasn't going to bash his players, obviously. But they didn't play because they weren't good enough. They played because as he's been very vocal about Nana Njoku has no idea what he's doing because he's literally practiced for five days because he had hydration issues and he had a concussion. Jordan Longino has been struggling with injuries. Trey Patterson. I was surprised. Didn't see action. And you and I have been very, very, you especially very passionate about how much of a factor Trey Patterson can be on this team. So I'll say to answer your question straight up, I don't think it was the right decision to not play Trey Patterson. Ooh, the other guys I can understand. Again, this is such a big moment. You can't afford a mistake. And, and Joku and Longino might've made mistakes, but Trey Patterson, if you're not going to give him a chance in this type of game, what are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. What, what, what type of performance and expectations do you expect him to have? If you're not going to give him minutes in a game as important as this one. No, interesting. I I like seeing your take there. So I completely agree. I would not have put Nana out there. It's just, it's not fair to ask someone that's barely been able to practice to go out and play a team as physically imposing as UCLA. It it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. I think after the Mount St. Mary's game, I'm going to guess that gave the coaching staff a little bit of caution on Trey Patterson, because I don't think Patterson looked particularly great in that game, I got lost on defensive assignments a little bit. I actually would have been okay with Longino getting some minutes out of really? the freshman. Over just, Patterson. Over Patterson. Just a couple. Huh. I, I am mostly okay with how Jay did the rotation, which I know is probably not what most people <laughs> want to hear, but I was mostly okay with it. Once you saw kind of that Archie wasn't able to get in the game and, and Caleb really struggled on Friday night, I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world to bring in a high athleticism, high energy guy like Longino and just see if he sparks, you know, and just, just give it a shot, put him out there for two, three minutes, see if he can force a steal and a fast break. Like we saw against Mount St. Mary's, I would have been all right with that, but I'm not in the camp of let's torch them 
for just playing the, the older guys. I get it. I see what he was doing there, going up against such an experienced and talented UCLA team where he didn't want to have guys that didn't fully grasp the system and the understanding out there. So I, I do get it, but I would have given Longino a couple minutes. That's really interesting. I, I agree with you 100%. This was a one-possession game for 40 mm-hmm. minutes. I mean, imagine the uproar if he had put Nana in and Nana had turned the ball over and it led to a fast grade point and UCLA wins in regulation. I, I completely agree with you. This was, as Jay Billis called it, this was a man's game. This was a, a game for experience. And that's what every single player on the court had, except for a very select few freshmen that played for UCLA. You didn't see, you didn't see UCLA's freshmen getting a lot of time either. Both coaches no. knew what they were doing. I'm, I'm sure their game plan going in was that un- unless an injury happens, these guys aren't going to play. And you know, it really makes me sad when you said the high energy, high athleticism guard that could have gone in and been a spark plug, mm-hmm. you know who that could have been? Brian Antoine. Brian Antoine. <laughs> this was a game. This was a game. I was thinking about him during mm-hmm. this game, thinking how he could have matched up against Juzang and, and uh, Hawkes. The, the Jays, right? Johnny yeah. Juzang, Jaime Hawkes, man. But Jordan Longino couldn't have matched up against either of those guys. No. Nana and Juco no. and Nana and Joko couldn't have matched up against Miles Johnson. So I think 2020 hindsight, you saw how fatigued the guys were in overtime. But I completely agree with you. I am totally in the camp of Jay Wright did what he had to do with the players that he had, and this was a an experience game. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree with you there. So I I, I think it all makes sense. So that being said, it is an experience game, but you put Chris Archie Diacono and Caleb Daniels in the experience section here, mm-hmm. and they both did not play as well as they needed to. No, they didn't. Um, you're, you're definitely right. I think Arch, you know, it's a different role than Caleb and that it, it's looking to kind of spell ball handler and play some defense. He had three assists, you know, so I, I don't think it was the worst thing from Arch. It's just he struggled with UCLA's athleticism mm-hmm. on, the, on the defensive side. Uh, I was certainly hoping for more from Caleb Daniels. I, I think it's definitely been a little bit of a rough start to the season from him. The turnovers are, are definitely a bit of an issue. Hasn't really been able to get into a groove though. He started off, remember, with dunking through traffic in the yeah, first couple minutes of the nasty game. Dunk. Yeah. yeah, I think that probably got a lot of people excited saying, here comes Caleb, but he he did struggle. And uh, I listen, I understand concerns about that being that he is the sixth man coming off the bench. And that's why I would have given Longino a little bit of time just after seeing Caleb struggles there. I still think there's plenty of time for Daniels to come into his own and really become an impact player, but it was not a good showing for him on Friday. Yeah, he hasn't found a shot yet. No. And and he is the bonafide sixth man, of course, because Arch isn't going to come off the bench before him. Uh, Antoine isn't, Longino isn't, it's it's Caleb Daniels. And the moment that really stuck out to me and re- where I really think that UCLA got its momentum back, when I think back about how Villanova lost this game, I think about this moment. It was in the last minute of the first half and Daniels had an open three. Yes. And instead of taking it, he tried to pass it inside, turn the ball over, Hockett, uh, not Hockett, Juzang gets a floater. And then Juzang hit another jumper as time's mm-hmm. expiring. So that's Caleb, that's Caleb Daniels missing an open shot, meaning he's not confident enough with the ball to take open shots. An absolute implosion on Villanova defense, giving UCLA the momentum going into the half and then also letting Johnny Juzang got, get hot. So that's four or five things that just absolutely cannot happen especially how well Villanova was playing the last five minutes of the first half 
And unfortunately, Daniels was the catalyst of that just because he's not confident with the ball right now. And he was, he hasn't made any threes, right? That's, that's the real crux of it. And that's Villanova's game plan. So he's either going to have to really refine that shot or figure out how to, to keep the ball more secure because right now both things really aren't working for him. Uh, frustrating is just the word that comes to mind because I think we see it, the talents in there. It just, it hasn't always come out. And I think we'd like to see some of the decision-making improve. That's something that Jay talked about on that press conference, you know, on Monday, not for Kayla specifically, but for the whole team. Um, and, you know, like I said, I, I still think there is time for Caleb Daniels to become an important player for this team, but it was uh, it's been a rough start. No, I definitely agree with you. There were other decision-making there are other decisions that were made that were mm-hmm. definitely not the right ones. And I sure. think the fact that Jay Wright said that makes that, that really important. Um, and another reason why I, I believe that people are so sensitive about Caleb Daniels, because he really does get so much flack and not all of it is deserved. It's just because it seemed like in this game, Villanova was so starved for offense beyond Gillespie and Samuels I know that Moore was up there but when he was on the bench it was oh my god who's going to score the ball and every time Caleb gets the ball you expect him to put up a shot and you expect that shot to go in and it's not right now so there's more pressure on him you're not going to see offense from Arch Slater is maybe in that double digit range but you still can't expect that jumper to be on every single night so I think it's more of an option of Villanova Villanova needs to really define its third fourth and fifth scoring options as opposed to man, Caleb just needs to figure out what his role is. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, there, there's a lot of things to look at here for for Villanova and scoring and trying to distribute it. I think we've seen some, you know, good progression in that Colin Gillespie looked more comfortable in game yep. two. You know, I think we saw what Justin Moore can do in game one. You've seen, you know, Samuel Slater and Dixon all start to come into their own. There is some scoring here. It's just, of course, people are going to look to the bench and say, where can that spark come from where can a little bit extra come from and Caleb Daniels is going to be the guy people look at with Brian Antoine injured and knowing the type of player that Chris Archidiakono is so expectations will certainly be there for him. yeah and and the thing I also think people need to press press the base press the brakes on is that Jay has operated teams without bench depth in the past this is not the first time he's had to do this so guys are going to settle into their roles they will figure it out Antoine will get healthy Daleb's I keep saying that Caleb Daniels will refine that shot and it's all going to be fine. Again, this was a one possession game for a full 40 minutes. And that was with basically five Villanova players Mm -hmm. and they almost beat UCLA. That is a pretty good spot to be in for the second game of the season. Yeah. And and I also want to point out, you know, it's for games that that come up a little bit later too. Like this is one of, if not the best non-conference schedule in the country, they're yeah, going to drop some games and it's okay that they lose some games. You know, it, it's going to happen. It's they're still figuring things out. So if they're dropping games, you know, some bad conference games in February and March, then I understand to get really upset that this isn't the one that uh, I think really uh, gets you out of your chair for, or at least yeah. for me. Yeah. I had one more thing that I wanted to talk about and that was how Villanova only had 15 free throw attempts. Did that, you think that was a, uh, a big factor here? It, it plays in nicely, which with my last point as well, which did go to the refereeing. Um, I, mm. I hate, you know, talking about refereeing and its effects on games, but I, I do think this one was worth doing. You know, I have no problem with it being let the boys play and, you know, don't call the fouls and, and just let them go through contact. But then when you change it up in the final 10 Halfway. minutes, <laughs> you know, more than that, in the final yeah. 10 minutes of the second half, 
I, I really don't think that's defensible. Uh, I, I went back and actually looked at it. I believe there were two fouls total called in the first eight minutes of the second half. And then eight called on Villanova the rest of the way down, which is just, you know, crazy about how different it was. Again, I am not a look at the refs. The refs, you know, are, are the reason for it. I don't think that's fair, but I think the refereeing was really poor down the stretch. And, and even looking at Ken Palm, it seems that they agree because uh, Villanova is currently 346th in the country in their luck index, if you believe in no that type way. of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know how you feel about officiating, and I know yes. you wouldn't say it unless you you really saw it. It was very yeah. apparent to you. I mean, UCLA was able to foul Villanova multiple times in the final possession of the game. Like Not many times. Yes. Many times. And that was really what it was able to, to drain the clock and, and force Justin Moore into not as strong as a shot as it could have been. I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I do think there needs to be more of an adjustment when shots aren't falling. More guys need to be able to drive to the basket. I think that's fair. But I also believe it was not a well-officiated game, especially mm-hmm. in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. I, I would agree, but I think that pretty much wraps it up with this game as comprehensive as we can get for one game, right? Yeah. <laughs> a breakdown there. Hopefully so. that's enough. Yeah, I hope, hope everyone enjoyed that. But again, deep breath when you think about this game. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's okay. You know, it, they played well. We saw stretches. They just, they ran out of gas is the simplest way to put it. Yeah, and they have Howard coming up. The young guys are going to get time in this yes. game. The freshmen are going to play. We're going to see more of them. Again, you, you just you don't play the second best team in the country in the second game of the season and expect everything to go right. And a mm-hmm. lot of things did go right. This was a game that Villanova could have won, and that's why we talked about it so much because it was a frustrating loss. But there were a lot of positives to take away. There were a lot of things to, to work on. And we also wouldn't be talking so much about it if we didn't think those things that could be worked on could be fixed halfway through the Definitely. season. And that's why this is still a top five team. So let's talk about Howard a little bit. This is the game on the 16th. Is that a Tuesday? Yeah, tonight as we record, Tuesday night. And I'm actually kind of excited to talk about Howard, Pat. They're three and oh, Really? They are. Our, our non-conference schedule breakdown, we were very bare about Howard because they – were very bad last year. Well, they only played five games last year because they canceled they the rest of their season. Five games. Yeah. Do you remember off the top of your head what their record was the year before that? I, I do actually. It's four and twenty nine. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where it is. <laughs> but this year, three and zero, oh, and they've actually got a lot of scoring from some of their guys. They have now. Before we get into it, I think we do have to caveat it by they have played one Division One school in those yep. three games. Uh, so their three wins over the District of Columbia Fireflies, which what a name, by the way, uh, Regent and Bradley. Bradley is the one Division One school. Uh, as Emma said, they are undefeated. They have actually scored a ton of points. Uh, for, from looking at kind of their output through the first couple of games, they shoot a heck of a lot of threes. So I would expect to see that try and continue. Uh, they've actually shot over 50% from three and two out of three of those games. Uh, Elijah Hawkins has been really good for them, you know, averaging about 19 points a game, five boards, six assists. Those are some obviously very strong numbers. Uh, but w- what I want to look at when you look at Howard and, and what Villanova could certainly look to really exploit is that they average about 14 turnovers per game. And that's not a typo. That's a lot of turnovers. And it's against, as we said, some some lower competition. So I think there's a chance here that Villanova can really, really cause Howard into some rough situations, try to run it in transition, maybe a little more than we're used to seeing Nova do. Um, 
and take advantage there. Uh, so it's an interesting one. Cause you know, they, I can't imagine there's a ton of scouting that can really be done on a team like Howard. Yeah, that's a good point. Jay Wright said in the press conference, they were trying to emulate a frenetic type of game. And I thought that was really interesting actually, because I'll tell you just how many shots they shoot from deep. They were four for 23 in their first game from yep. three. 17 well i'm sorry that was a typo i don't have the first one off the top of my head 20 shots from three in the second game that was the same game that they forced 20 turnovers and then they were 13 of 24 from three against bradley in their third game they are going to be volume shooters this is going to be a marcus howard video game type game (laughs) howard's just going to get the ball and just brick it up but yeah they have out out rebounded every single one of their opponents but i looked at that haven't they haven't had any real caliber opponents to put that up against. Uh, I think this one is going to be a blowout. I am still a little bit embarrassed and reeling from expecting the Mount St. Mary's game to be closer than it was. So I'm going to go overboard on this game, Pat. Mm -hmm. And my score prediction is going to be 95 to 55. Oh, you're really going for it then. I, no, I I like it. Listen, I, I do think that there, there should be a pretty big talent disparity here. And if Villanova is able to play the game that we normally see them do that, this should not be close. Um, I I do think it's a test, you know, especially on rebounding wise that they Mm -hmm. have looked to be a good rebounding team. They do have some size. Steve settle. The third is a a six ten sophomore forward. That's been really, really solid for them. As we said, they are going to play up tempo. They're going to shoot a ton of threes. So it'll be interesting to watch. They haven't played them since 1998, which I think is a, is a nice, interesting nugget there. I do think Villanova wins this one pretty handily. And it is around that, that 30, maybe larger uh, point differential. Yeah, and we just talked about how bad Villanova's transition D was against UCLA. Why not let this be a test? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the same caliber of opponent to try and reset your defense as quickly as you can against a high-tempo team. So that's something very tangible you could take away from this game, seeing how Villanova's defense is able to reset itself in transition. And they are going to put the, their shooters can shoot. They are going to put up a lot of shots, so they'll see how that rebounding does as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this was fun. This will be a fun game to watch. Why not let the freshmen play? seven to 10 minutes, if not more than that, let them run a little bit, let them see how their conditioning holds up. And then you just hope everybody stays healthy. And then we've got a really, really good weekend matchup coming up too. Yeah. If, if you are upset about not seeing the freshman against UCLA, that should be quenched on uh, on Tuesday night. Yep. I, I would expect <laughs> at least, I, I shouldn't say that as definite because you never know with Jay, but uh, I, I would expect to see them out there. No, I feel the same way. Yeah. Definitely. Sweet. All right. And then we'll, we'll save that weekend stuff for, uh, for the next episode. Cause oh, we, yeah. we've got some stuff to talk through. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So we are going to do questions on Thursday, just to clarify this. So always make sure to get your questions to us on Thursday. You can tweet at us at S O N N pod, and also make sure to keep leaving us reviews. We've gotten a few so far. We'll read off every Thursday, a review, either a compliment or a question, or let us know what you think, whatever works for you. But for this one, we wanted to ask some UCLA-specific questions just because it was such a good game, and we got a a couple good ones, Pat. Yeah, no, we we definitely did. So we kind of talked about it uh, at the start here with with John Palme coming in with the question for specifically for UCLA. Did this game remind you more of Villanova-Georgetown from the Big East Tournament or the Villanova-Baylor game from a year ago, or maybe even both? And it, it sounds like we both agree with how we look at this one. Yeah. I thought this was a phenomenal question, truly. It was. And the way I would have quantified this game, if I had to say it was one word, it was, or actually 
forwards. Missed opportunity or missed opportunities, but then also UCLA was the better opponent. Mm -hmm. And when I think of those two things, I think of Baylor. Baylor outmatched Villanova and they made the coaching adjustments. I will stand by the fact that Scott Drew made the best halftime adjustments that I have ever seen in a game in my entire life in that Sweet 16 game. How well he coached in the second half was absolutely astounding. And Mick Cronin did a a similar thing by letting Juzang go and finally letting him score. But on the flip side, Villanova blew a 10-point lead. Mm -hmm. They were up 10 with 9.15 left in the second half. And they did not make a lot of free throws and they missed some really infuriating shots in overtime. So I will have to give the unfortunate, disappointing answer of both because there were missed opportunities. But when it comes down to it, the bottom line is that UCLA was the better team and they outplayed Villanova. Yeah. And so I'm not, I don't want to reiterate everything that you said. So I can, I'll say it very quickly in that I do think it's the Baylor game. And I think it simply comes down to the fact that Villanova played pretty well in the first half, you know, was able to, to really kind of exert some things and do some things well, uh, which let them either, you know, go in at the, go in with the lead against Baylor or, or very close against UCLA. Uh, but then the, the team that is better, you know, last year, Baylor was most certainly better than Villanova. I don't think there's any shame in saying that against the eventual national champions. And at this very moment, UCLA is better than Villanova. That does not mean that Villanova won't be better than UCLA towards the end of the year. But right now, UCLA is the more complete team. So that's why I go the Baylor side. Yeah, I did think Villanova was going to pull this one off in the second half. I never thought Villanova was going to pull it off against Baylor. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop that entire game. Mm, yeah. <laughs> this one, I, this one, I did think they had a chance, but I, I love that question. Really good one. I do too. No, it, it's really good. Uh, here's one from Rob Enselm and Rob, we're going to save your last two questions for Thursday. Cause they're more about us. This one, we're going to do more specifically to the game stuff. Uh, would you be more upset if the freshman did play and didn't play well, or are we more upset that they, the freshman did not play at all? Yeah. I thought this was a really good question too. And we talked about it. I think the the I, I was going to say the former or the latter, but I can't remember which one came first. Sorry about that. <laughs> I think I would have been more upset if the freshmen did play and they didn't play well, because that would just seem like a bad coaching decision. And Jay Wright really doesn't make a lot of bad coaching decisions. If these guys were not ready because they have not had enough time in the system because they were hurt during the offseason, then they should not have been in the game. And that's the bottom line. I understand the fatigue. I understand spelling minutes. We talked about Patterson. We talked about Longino. I get it. But if they weren't ready, then they shouldn't have played. And they didn't. So I think you you give Jay Wright credit for doing what he thought was best and knowing his players, which he obviously does. You're making it boring because I agree with you <laughs> again. And uh, it's just uh, I agree that I, I think it would be more upsetting if the freshman went there and just looked completely lost, allowed easy, allowed easy buckets, you know, turn the ball over, things like that. I, I do think there is reasoning why the freshman didn't play. And it's just because, you know, the the gravity of this game and who we wanted to send out there. So I, I do think it is, it'd be more upsetting if the freshmen came in and, and were just a disaster rather than, yeah. than sitting them and cost the game. And I think it's, it's the gravity of the game and also the timing. If yep. this game is played in the middle of the season, you probably see more of those three freshmen. Great point. Very, very true. And as we said, Rob, we've got two more questions from you. We'll get to it on Thursday. We actually had another question come in as well from Patrick Madden. It is about UNC and Purdue. So I think we'll also save that one for Thursday because it'll be a little little more uh, time sensitive or just a little more appropriate then um, when we get to that show. But thank you for the questions to everyone that submitted them. Yeah, sounds great. We love that. Can't wait to get to them on Thursday. 
definitely want to do one quick whip around the Big East before we wrap this thing up. Yes, good call. I had forgotten that. The Big East is still doing well. A couple of upset losses, most notably Georgetown fell to Dartmouth 69-60 to in its first game of the season. Amino Muhammad had 17, Mm -hmm. and that was literally the only good thing that happened to them. I mean, pretty much uh, to to uh, to quote John Rothstein, uh, the epitome of brutality because Georgetown yeah. paid Dartmouth to play that game. Yeah, and they the buy game. Yeah, the yeah. buy games, and they found a way to lose it. So rough start, especially for a team that I believe we both picked as one to look at as one of the bottom teams in the Big East that could surprise some people this year. Uh, I think they surprised people in game one, and it wasn't the way we thought they were going to surprise mm-hmm. people. So uh, that was a rough one. Other thing I have to, to spotlight, DePaul's come out firing, which I think is very interesting, as uh, I specifically slammed them in our in our preview, but 97 and 99 points in their first two games. Is it against the best competition? Absolutely not, but uh, seeing a little bit of offense from, uh, from the, uh, DePaul. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of offense from a lot of teams. Yeah. Providence's offense has looked good. UConn, St. John's putting up a lot of points. Maybe the one team that maybe is a little bit of a pretender right now, Butler. I think mm-hmm. you and I agree that none of their games have been really dominant, even though they're three, and zero. so they definitely have a lot of things to work with, but Xavier bounced back in their second game after just eking it out against Niagara by three, they were able to have more of a, a sizable win. Paul Scruggs has 23 right now. Big East is looking good. Again, these are games that none of these teams should be losing, especially for the Yukons and the Xaviers who really expect to compete deep in the tournament, but still a good look at the beginning. And weirdly, there have been a lot of by game losses this year. I think yes. three teams in the ACC lost on opening night in by games, right? Yeah, no, that there have definitely been some by game losses to start the year. Yeah. So you can't, you can't take any of them for granted. Really. No, you, you, you certainly cannot. And then last thing to look at is the Gavit games. Do start this week as we record this Illinois and Marquette and Providence and Wisconsin play on Monday night. Seton Hall in Michigan is probably the big one. Uh, that's on Tuesday. Uh, you know, it's just always exciting to have the Gavit games. I know last year was a little different with COVID coming in. So it's nice to have these back and have these Big East, Big Ten matchups. Yeah, definitely. Villanova has one of the best non-conference schedules in the country, but there are some really notable Big East non-conference matchups too. Like I'm so excited for Providence, uh, the, the Providence game the Wisconsin Providence, Wisconsin, sorry. And, and the Seton Hall, Michigan. Yeah. Those are going to be some really key games. And also it will be a good, good to see how Villanova is going to match up to the Big East opponents. If that makes sense, just where everybody fits in as we get closer to conference play. Yeah, no, certainly conference play where as this drops on the 16th, what we're about a month away. Cause I believe yeah. December 17th is game one with Villanova Creighton. So we are, we're getting there. We're getting there people. We're <laughs> we, close. Yes. Almost there at the big East, but that'll do it. Anything else you wanted to hit on? No, I, I'm, I'm good. Stay right. at number five. I think number five is a good place to be going into a really good weekend and going into Howard. Like we said. I do too. Like I said, deep breaths, Nova nation after that yep. game on Friday night, it's we'll be okay. They'll be all right, but all right, that'll do it for us here on the state of the Nova nation presented by VU hoops. Be sure to check out all the awesome articles on VU hoops right now. If you're looking for more on Howard, there's a preview that's up for them. And if you're also looking to read a little bit more on that UCLA game, you should see that up soon. Um, be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and follow us on Twitter at S O N N pod. We will be back at it on Thursday to talk about Howard and a little bit of the upcoming weekend in Connecticut, go cats and Nova nation. That's a wrap.